Hey guys, welcome to the CP Junkie podcast, where we bring you interviews with dentists sharing their CPD stories and journeys from around Australia. What better way to learn than to follow those who've already done it before? CPD Junkie is Australia's most comprehensive CPD, so head over to cpdjunkie.com.au and become a member for free to access the full features of the site. I'm your host, Lawrence Doan, and today we are joined by Dr. Jeff Wang. Dr. Jeff Wang (laughs) graduated from UCID in 2006. Shortly afterwards, he left and went to the USA to pursue further education. During this time in the USA, Jeff had developed a keen interest in working with children, the elderly, cosmetic dentistry, oral surgery, and removal prosthodontics. Jeff has since returned to Australia in 2012, along with his wife, and has made Sydney his new home. He's become a business owner and grew it significantly over in the six years. He's a jack of all trades, master of none. He aims to impact as many patients during this time in practice and helping a few dentists along the way. He eats inspiration for breakfast and works daily, which is unusual for someone in their 40s. Dr. Jeff Wang, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Lawrence. (laughs) (laughs) So, you graduated from UCID and then moved on um, back to Canada, but ended yep. up in the US. Tell us about your CPD journey from there. <laughs> All right. The States was kind of like my gateway to be closer to Canada um, because I didn't graduate with a DMD like some of you um, m- more recent graduates. Um, the gateway back to Canada where I was from, it's a lot, it's a lot trickier. So I kind of settled for a life in the States. Um, while I was there, I worked for a corporate uh dental joint i won't say who uh but basically we saw a lot of terminal dentitions and did a lot of dentures which i hated in school but we were doing like two three sets of dentures a week so you know if you do that many you kind of get pretty good at it uh and the cool thing about the states is that you got easy access to world-class education and the place where i spent the most time was in scottsdale arizona with frank spear I did about five Frank Spear courses over there. So I learned all sorts of stuff about occlusion, facially generated treatment planning, um, materials, like all sorts. And like it was knowledge that I put in the back of my head, but because my communication was shit, I couldn't like do what I learned. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Right. So tell us about that. So you're 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 uh, you've moved back and you've gone to the U.S. and so you you're doing a lot of uh, removable um, dent prosthodontics dentures as well. Um, you're saying you're doing a lot of it. Are you doing courses to supplement it? Because you're saying you're not you're not very good at it at the time, right? Oh uh, no, at the time no. But I had an on-site technician, and it's like it's like trial by fire. You learn by doing, and the more you do, the better you get. You 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 make your own mistakes. You figure out what the hell did I do wrong? What could I have done better? And then you, you make it better, compromise. Sometimes you have to redo stuff. That's just the mm-hmm. way it is with life, with anything, really. Um, but how so. did you learn, come to that? Because, like, you know, some people can get kind of trapped in the repetitive cycle. And then they're gonna, they'll be like, oh, maybe this is what it is, and I'll try that. But, I mean, so you're saying you talked to your technician to kind of get yep. some advice from him, and that was Absolutely. kind of what led you to getting better at it? Exactly, because my technician worked on site. So he told me exactly what it is that he needed to have a successful restoration. So like, how could I go about doing what I do clinically in the mouth to get my technician what he needed? And so long as what he, he so long as my technician got what he needed, then I got what I needed for the patient. And sometimes, um, and a lot of the time, because my technician is way more experienced than I was, I was able to learn off of his wisdom, which was great. Right. And then you decided to do Frank's because you're, you're, you're in um, Arizona. Is that right? Uh, I was in Washington State. Um, right. Go Seahawks. Uh, <laughs> and Quite I a, different. <laughs> I, I had a few buddies that, um, that you know, they, they were like, hey, let's go do Frank Spears. Like, okay. And, you know, flights are cheap, a hundred bucks or so to go to Arizona. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was easy to, to get there. I mean, they fed you well, partied afterwards. It was awesome. Um, 
yeah, we had easy access, easy access to anywhere in the States. Right. Okay. And tell us about that. How, how did you find that uh, particular course? Uh, Frank, anything that Frank teaches, like he, he takes complicated concepts, dumbs it down. So it's like, you're kind of mesmerized. Like, oh my God, this makes so much sense. Um, I wish that I could repeat what he has taught because like, it's like, unfortunately it's, it's so, I think it's like deeply embedded in my subconscious that mm -hmm. when I see it again, it's like, oh yeah, I remember that. But if I were to have to try to teach you, I'd be like, um, I'm not sure exactly like how to present this to you in a way that makes sense. But as soon as like my hands get into it, um, it all just like, just flows. Right. Um, so yeah, like, there's a lot of schools of occlusion out there. Um, yeah. Because you, you mentioned Kois and Panky, right? At some point. Yeah, yeah. Frank used to be uh, partnered with Kois. Uh, so Kois has his center in Seattle. Um, and then you got LD Panky out in Florida, I believe. I never did his stuff. But yeah, they're all, they're all, like, they're all great uh, resources for learning occlusion. Then you got Mike Melkers. I mean, I, I heard um, uh, Paul mention, like, he, went, he attended a Mike Melkers course, which is mm. also really good. Not right. Awesome. Uh, yeah, we've got our own Lincoln Harris in Australia, uh, kind of doing something similar with his uh, ripe global uh, curriculum. Yeah, well, I mean, like I asked because like for a lot of the Australian um, graduates or dentists as well, they hear about Frank, they hear, I mean, they hear about speed, they hear about Coist, but, you know, it would be nice to kind of get some feedback on, you know, what your experience of that was like. And it sounds like, you know, it was a pretty good experience to kind of learn about um, treatment planning and full mouth kind of cases. Absolutely. And like, as dentists, like we can only diagnose what we're able to see. And if we can't see things in a certain way, then we completely miss it. We, we're not able to diagnose it. And there's a lot of opportunity in so many patients that we can help improve their lives. Um, it's just that we don't know what, what it is that we're looking for. And if we don't know, we can't, we can't treatment plan. Yeah. I mean, you also mentioned that you've done the AEGD and G GPR, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, tell those us about are, that. What's that like? Hello. Those are postgraduate education um, courses to allow me to uh, get a license to practice in Washington State. So that was kind of like... <laughs> to is that your daughter there? <laughs> this is my daughter, Amelia. This is Uncle Hi, Amelia. <laughs> she's, she's vanished into the background. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, but yes, you were saying the um, EG, um... EG Advanced Education in General Dentistry. Yes, and the yes. GPR, uh, General Practice Residency. Um, yes. Also, the, one of them was a community health center based uh, program. The other one was a hospital. And um, one of the coolest things about the hospital one was we actually had a code blue in the middle of a dental procedure. Right. <laughs> so so then what happens then? Yeah. One of, them, one of them took a bit too much morphine during a full clearance and then like she just coded. So it's good that we were able to um, get the emergency to get the naloxone reviver. Uh, I was on call that day, so I had to um, I had to go stitch her up as soon as she woke up. Right. Wow. And so would you, I mean, having gone through it yourself, would you recommend other, because, you know, Canadi there's a lot of Canadian dentists here that are contemplating going back um, yep. or, um, yeah, going through these kind of programs, do you, would you recommend it in your experience? Absolutely. It's a great safe way to learn and get your clinical skills up. Um, because you've got, you've got, um, a program director, you've got other dentists that are mentoring you to make sure that you're successful at being able to, um, uh, you know, do clinical work. So I don't think there's any safer way to really get your hand skills like way, way up um, outside of like a public, a public, um, a public hospital setting or a public clinic setting. Um, mm -hmm. And I was also in Alice Springs for the first six months and oh, I snapped a lot of roots back then. <laughs> like, right. Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess we're going to learn from these experiences, don't we? I mean, you've also just mentioned that you've ref you ended up refining your skills when you worked for Aspen Dental. Um, tell us more about that. Uh, it, like clinically, because there's so many patients that come through, like, because you, like, you, you just get better at yeah. um, the high volume. 
uh, and you have to be able like, to, that's where I, that's where I was getting stressed. Oh, no, I remember. I'll see 25 <laughs> to 30 patients a day. Wow. Wow. Like who does this? 25 to 30, this is ridiculous. And, yeah. um, it's like a nine to five job. Sometimes nine to seven. Some, oh no. Sometimes it was t t 11 to seven. Uh, but yeah, five days a week. Wow. Talk to me about that. Like what, what's kind of, cause this is sometimes, um, you know, for some graduates that might be stuck in a, um, a practice that is more high, um, patients kind of, um, coming through, um, as opposed to a slower kind of dentistry. Um, talk to me about that. What, what were you experiencing during that time? It's very stressful because I can't switch on and off between patients. Like, I think I'm mildly on the spectrum because like I get hyper-focused at what I do. And right now I see, I might see six to 12 patients a day. Um, and it, you know, it, they're longer point. Most of them are longer appointments where I'm doing like big, bigger, bigger procedures. Um, but back then I had to juggle new patients, restorative or surgical and denture adjustments and denture steps. Like I had to juggle between and, and hygiene checks. So I had mm. to bounce back and forth um, four chairs. Wow. How do you do that in like, with, that would have been like what, 15 minutes each? Or less. <laughs> okay, I mean, I don't know. I, and how, how are you improving your skills at the same time then when you're going through that? Like, do you, is it just through just churning fast. through it? Or you, how about making mistakes along the way? Uh, you hope you don't. Um, but also, don't forget that in the States, we get to leverage. Um, the dental assistants can have a lot more scope. They can put on the rubber dam for you. They can make temps for you. Uh, they could take impressions for you, um, except for the final crown and bridge impressions. They could also uh, do x-rays. Um, and we even trained them to do, I think, um, yeah. So, and the technician was able to help out with a lot of denture adjustments. So um, the delegation helped a lot, big time, while we were over there. But now that I'm here, it's like, oh, it's a lot, it's a lot cruisier. I get to focus. Um, and put my attention to one patient at a time. It's like, oh, this is so much better. Yeah, and then so, yeah, talk to me about that. So after that was all happening, you decide to come back to Australia. Why? Because, I mean, you my originally were planning Canada. to go to Canada. Yes, my wife is from Cabramatta. <laughs> uh, we got married in the States and we hung out there for about, you know, a good year or so. And then she's like, I miss home. And where we live right now, there's like a toxic river that used to be a, a testing plant for a nuclear site. Right. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to raise our kids here. Fair the medical system's pretty messed up here. I want to go back to Australia. And I'm like, oh man, it's hot. Everything's expensive. I can't travel easily to Scottsdale or Florida or Seattle anymore. <laughs> um, but honestly, it's been the best move ever. I've like, out of all the places in the world, I got access to the most opportunity in this country. It's um, it's bloody amazing. I love it here. Yeah, tell tell me more about that. Um, well, since the move, like I've got acclimatized. I used to think it was too hot. Now I'm soft. I can't go back to Canada without freezing. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know. I used to not like Sydney, but like it is what it is. It's a big city. You have access to everything. And every anything that's worth happening in the Southern Hemisphere, they all come to Sydney. Yeah. Or in Melbourne. So you've come back to Australia now, and then you've just, yep. what kind of courses were you deciding to pick? Was it orthodontics? Yep, Derek. So that was my first one. I've seen him present a few times at the Pacific, uh, Pacific Dental Conference in Vancouver. Uh, I was like, I think this guy's kind of a big deal internationally, and like, I, I, I want to get into this. So that's where I learned about orthodontics, airways, recognizing about tonsils and allergies and, 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 and airway issues. So mm -hmm. um, as dentists, we never get taught this stuff. So hopefully yeah. you, you've had some exposure to airways and how it affects uh, jaw development, jaw growth, and how it impacts um, growth and development of, of children and, and teens. Um, ortho has been a game changer for me. Uh, Derek's course was awesome at um, giving me exposure so that I'm able to see more. And when I can see more, I can diagnose more. Um, 
but uh, since then, I've also done a bit of Skip Truitt. I've done some Steve Galella, and currently I'm doing Jeff Hall's ortho course. And now that I've done about five, six years of actual hands-on ortho experience, Jeff Hall's course is like a super awesome supplement um, to what I've already learned. And it also like answers a lot of the problems that I see clinically. It's like, oh man, how do I get out of that? How do I get out of that? And then Jeff just like, clearly it's like well if you do this you end up with this and the way you get out of that is like this like that makes so much gosh darn sense right yeah so would you i mean for graduates now that are deciding to between you know particular orthodontic courses because there's so many different there's so many uh, yeah there's so many they're all good they're you know they all everyone who comes out of them raves about them whether it's ken lee derek jeff uh vandana they're all good uh, and I wouldn't pick one over the other. Like if you're um, determined to put ortho in your treatment mix, do more than one. Right. <laughs> that way you can kind of fill the gaps. Yeah. And then, so basically what you're saying is like, you're always gonna, you have to be open-minded that you're gonna have to be constantly coming, um, learning, um, learning about it. It's not just one course and that's gonna set you on. Um, and that's going to be enough. It's going to be like you learn a little bit and then you, you have to go apply it and then come back and go learn it again through um, another course. And one of the things that was really helpful for me was when I was a younger dentist, eight, nine years ago, I had a boss who did this stuff. And having like a mentor like in your own practice gives you the certainty, the security, that it's gonna work out. So mm -hmm. if you ever run into problems, I go to my boss, he's like, no, you need to do this and this and this. Oh, okay, great. Whereas if you're learning this course on your own and you're working for somebody else who's got no ortho knowledge and then you have to order all this stuff, all this inventory, equipment and ortho tools, that's a huge investment. And then when you don't know what you're doing for a patient and you got no one to turn to, it's really, really daunting. So if you're going to be going into an ortho course, make sure that you at least have like somebody that's close to you that can give you some support and guidance. Like last night, I had a, an issue with the clear liner course. I came, I came up to a snag. Um, and I remember having speaking to uh, George Fu out in Melbourne. It's like, like, you do a lot of Invisalign. It's like, oh, I do tons. It's like, great. If I have any questions, can I ask you? It's like, yeah, sure, anytime, bro. <laughs> Yeah. So we had a good half hour conversation last night where he kind of explained to me, all right, this is what's happened. Um, what you're thinking isn't exactly right. It's kind of, but what you really ought to be aiming for is this, which will help you do that. Like, oh, okay, that makes a truck ton of sense. I'm so like, so learning the material and having like a, a peer network is super important to, you know, you gaining that kind of clinical hands-on experience and knowing what the hell it is you're trying to do. Yeah, because, you know, a lot of graduates are thinking, you know, I need to get into a clinic that maybe doesn't have uh, where the principal might not be doing it because that way there'll be patients there for me to do it. Yep. And that's going to be fine if you're able to do it. But if, you, if you're new at it and you've just come out of a course and you haven't seen at least 10, 20 cases go through might not be the best thing to do a test kitchen in somebody else's house. Mm -hmm. right? yeah. Whereas if they're turning a lot of ortho and they're able to guide you, that's going to be like the recipe for the greatest ortho success. So I, I hate to break it to the people that don't have an ortho mentor, um, but I think it's, it's great if you do. Um, and I can give you a whole list of people in Sydney, Melbourne, uh, of people that do heaps of ortho and they'd be great mentors and resources um, in, the, in the ortho journey. Mm -hmm. And what's your thoughts on learning fixed uh, or learning clear aligners first? Um, I've got no thoughts on it. If you want to go for clear aligners, go for it. Um, the mechanics, the principles, they're all very similar. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, tip torque in out it's all the same thing it's just how the force like how the forces are applied to get the teeth to where you want them to be so what made you decide that you wanted to do orthodont like 
when you got to Australia, you decided that one of the big courses you're going to take is orthodontics first. I just saw it in a magazine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I saw Derek's face. It's like, I recognize this guy. And then, like, orthodontic continuum. Like, oh, this looks good. And I'm glad that I got to him first. Um, and it was great. Um, and I'm not, I'm not going to, like, throw any ortho courses under the bus. Like, they're all good in their own regard. Uh, but yeah, like each of them forms like a tribe. So all the students that, that are in the course, like you see them all the time, you become almost like family. Like my classmates, I still keep in touch with them, even though we all finished back in 2013. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. I, I don't keep in touch with all of them, but like a handful, we're still, we're still tight. Yeah. yeah. So basically when you're picking an orthodontic course, you know, you're trying to look for the content, what's there, but also if there's going to be hands-on or is there going to be... Yeah, hands-on's good. And there's some sort of mentoring in the program that's going to help you support the the when you're going through the program? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Like mentoring like within the program, but also mentors outside of the program that that are willing to help you. Mm-hmm, yeah. And it's a matter of what reaching out and finding people for sure most of yeah. us are like i mean we're, we're all in the in the in the field to help others that's ultimately what it comes down to like most of the good ones anyways like, i don't know if there's any selfish dentists that are out there that are really really good really super successful making a ton of money and just like being a total asshole Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Most of us actually desire to help, and that's why you go to the forums. You'll see usually the same names, always offering some sort of helping hand. Um, and so yeah. you know, for the ones that um are f are familiar with ortho, reach out. You know, ask for help, and they'd be more than happy to help. Mm. So then, after ortho, or do you, maybe during when you're doing ortho, are you learning about any other particular courses? Um, <laughs> mostly communication. Yeah. Mostly communication. I did a truck ton of Kinar Shah's courses, um, which were great. Uh, a lot has to do with mindset, state, and it's like when you get into a more excitable, like higher state, you vibe more. <laughs> Serious. It, it, it sounds all like woo woo and wishy washy, but like, you, you know, like when you're at a party and somebody walks in, it's like, oh shit, you know, th this guy's like, I want to, I'm attracted to this person, whether it's yeah. a guy or a girl, because there's something about them, something I'm vibing about them. Uh, and so when you're vibing at this higher frequency, people are more receptive to you and what it is that you're trying to offer them. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, communication, you and I, we both speak English as communicating, right? <laughs> there's a bit more to that. Uh, th there's the nonverbal stuff. Um, there's there's a lot. Kinar helps to break it down. Uh, but since Kinar, I've also done Tony Robbins. I've done a couple of Tony Robbins courses. I've done a Brendan Burchard course. Um, I've, I've even um, done uh, a course with Grant Cardone, which <laughs> he's he's like a he's like an ADHD adult. <laughs> he's he's insane. Yeah. Uh, but it's great because like it gets you thinking bigger that that uh, anything is possible. Yeah. Well, tell us more about that. So these are obviously um, courses that aren't, you know, um, dentistry specific. Um, they're more about personal development, personal growth, right? And when you become like more comfortable with yourself and your limitations, then you're like more confident about it too. And it it like I feel it when I when I'm presenting my findings to the patients, they're more usually more receptive to like, well, what can we do about it? When can we get started? And it's no longer a, me defending prices, why they're set the way they are. Like they just want what it is. They want the solution because I've helped, I've helped them understand and see what I see. I help them understand like what's the importance of getting done, whatever it is that we've recommended, whether it's like, you know, replacing a filling or, or protecting a cracked tooth or, or why we should be doing a root canal instead of an extraction. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. All that stuff. Or even like, even the single implant, you know, so many patients are walking around with a missing lower six. Um, it's like, why, why would they give it much thought? It doesn't hurt. It doesn't bother them. 
So, well, what's going to happen like when you pound the crap out of the other side? And then you yeah. try to use both the you know that that side with the missing tooth, and you realize both teeth surrounding it have like tilted in. They're trapping food. It's more inconvenient. You're thinking, shit, I should have done something about it. You know, when that bald Canadian guy made mention of it back in 2021. Now it's 10 years later. Lost another tooth. This side kind of sucks. The one up top is a bit loose. Like, ah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. No, I follow what you're saying. Um, you've also done some surgical cases. I mean, some training as well, right? Some live yep. surgical training before. Yep. Yep. I can't really. Uh, I went to Cambodia. <laughs> right. Yeah. Did a did a did a bunch of wisdom teeth, and I did quite a bit, like back in um, back in my first year of residency, because mm -hmm. we were in the hospital. I had a surgeon like pretty much holding my hand for everything, so yeah. I got really comfortable with that. But then since then. Um, my wisdom teeth, like my wisdom teeth, uh, frequency has like really, really diminished. Mm -hmm. Um, I was like, man, I need to get back into this wisdom tooth scene. Um, so I did that Cambodia course. Uh, I, right now, whoever's like organizing has gone dirty and kind of run with some money because of COVID, but like, uh, yeah. yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit crap. Um, yeah. but for the course itself at the time, you found that it was quite helpful. Absolutely. Like when you have an expert that's able to break it down for you, um, it makes a lot of sense, makes it a lot simpler. So you know exactly like where to aim, what to cut, uh, and make it a lot more predictable. Um, there's this uh, Korean comedian, Yong Sam Kim out of Gangnam in Seoul, Korea. He's hilarious. And <laughs> he just, he just makes it a lot simpler too. Um, yeah. I just wish I could have taken his course. Um, but Anthony Go out in Cambodia. He was he was a really good instructor too. Yeah, I guess um for for Doctor um Kim, you'll have to get his book instead in the meantime. Hey, oh, I got it in the back somewhere. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Are you still working towards your ma mastership of academic of the uh, Acad Academy of General Dentistry? No, no, yeah. I've, I've I've gone out of that. Um, there's really no there's not much point of that in 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 Australia. In the states, it makes a bit more sense. Um. But yeah, it yeah it doesn't make, really make much sense. I'm probably like the only fellow of the Academy of General Dentistry in this country, uh, so it's like yay. Uh, but <laughs> I, I, t I tell everyone who gets like their um, what's it FRACDS their primaries, it's like yeah, that's fine if you wanted to get into specialty school. I promise you, no patient understands what that means or cares. Mm -hmm. what, the, what they care about is like, do I like this person? Do I trust this person? Are they going to hurt me? Yeah. That's, that's the main things that the patient is sussing out when, when they're meeting you. And if, if they're comfortable with you, they, they, they believe that you're not there to hurt them. They trust you. Okay. You do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. Now, I guess as clinicians, sometimes we can get a little bit tunnel vision and forget about um, how general people um, actually perceive us. It's it's yep. how we present ourselves, and less so the the plaque that we have on the wall. Um, <laughs> you you've done other um, academies. Was it on craniofacial pain? Yeah, yeah. I did. I was a member of the American Academy of Craniofacial Pain, and that's also like an eye opener because like it opens you up to the whole world of postural stuff, uh, nutrition, um, airways, TMG, TMD, pain. It's a lot. <laughs> and uh -huh. I'm like, this is great. I don't really like being in this space. <laughs> there's, a, there's a place for it for people that like it. Um, my dentist is knee deep in that. That's why I trust him with um, my teeth and my jaws and my joints. Um, and his, uh, his old boss is like one of my, my colleagues, Graham Hawkins. Uh, so anybody that presents with like TMJ related stuff, it's like, I recognize this. I don't treat it. This guy does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. the Academy just kind of exposed you to identifying it. Um, but not so much, uh, it's up to you as an individual, whether you want to further that training with right. other things before you want to go more into it. Absolutely. Like my dentist, Lewis, he just got his uh, master's degree in traditional Chinese medicine and acupuncture. Like, who does this? <laughs> but And that's amazing that he's able to incorporate that into managing 
like craniofacial pain in a dental setting. Right? Yeah. He's obviously passionate about it. And that's why I go to him and I send my kids to him. Because mm-hmm. he's able to see all that stuff. Me, yeah. I'm not that interested. <laughs> I'd rather just go in, do my restorative, do my ortho, and I'm good. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you're at this point now, right? So I'm painting, I'm trying to paint a picture here. So you've come back to Australia. Um, yep. You're out now in Sydney. You've started your ortho training. Um, you're doing a few other courses um, along the way, whether it be a surgical kind of training. Um, I'm assuming pros as well of some sort. And then yeah, a few pros courses. Um, I think one of the best ones, especially if you have steric, is just do the steric fundamentals. Um, when I registered for that, this year, like Lawrence and Gloria were looking at the registration list, like Jeff Wan, what the hell? Jeff, Jeff knows how to use CEREC. Um, believe it or not, I actually got a lot out of that fundamentals course and I can't wait to actually do the anteriors course. So I have greater predictability in being able to execute because I see the stuff that Lawrence is able to, even old mate Howard Yeen, like he was, I've never actually regarded him like more than just a peer. But now that I see the case that he's presenting, he's like, bloody hell, Howard, not bad. Uh, you know, he's actually doing some pretty badass stuff. So if he could do it, there's nothing stopping you or me. Mm. Is that That's interesting, because obviously you're already um, doing a lot of Cerex at the time, right? And then you decided to, after some time, take on the Cerex course. Uh, it was mostly to support my associates so they would feel like a greater sense of uh, certainty when using the CEREC. I've noticed that um, they had a few technical issues with tight like contacts where they can't get the crown all the way down or where they had insufficient reduction. One of my associates, like she, oh, bless her heart, her preps were beautiful, but they were severely under-reduced, which made the materials too thin. Uh, and she's like, I, I, I don't know how to do this. Like, hey, you need to be a bit more aggressive with your occlusal reduction. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. To get sufficient clearance and thickness of material. And as a result of that course, I'm being called into their surgeries less and less. Like, Jeff, I can't do this. (laughs) Now they can, which is great. Yeah. I see. And that's what... um, So... You know, at this point, you're probably, you know, a lot of graduates at, you know, the four or five year mark, they start to contemplate about, you know, practice ownership, being a specialist or being a super GP, you know, for you, you were, you you were working for multiple dentists, I mean, practices, I mean, um, you're maybe a leader, um, lead dentist at some point as well, you know, at this point, can you share your thoughts on that? Figure out what, what what you want like best time is like around new year or new year's eve when everything's all quiet get get your journal out write down like hey what does my life look like what i want in a year's time three years time five years time what does that look like what does that ultimate vision look like and if practice ownership is part of it go for it um and if you don't know what to do ask somebody who's done it before right and if you're happy to coast along and continue being an associate i know an associate that was turning over in excess of 1 million a year. So his take wow. home is at 40%, right? Plus whatever bonus. That's wow. pretty, that's freaking sweet. If I, if I was taking home 40% of just in excess of a million, like why would I want to be an owner? Right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, part of it's just knowing what it is that you want, having that, like, like casting that vision. And it shouldn't be dictated by um, what your parents are telling you. It's like, oh, oh, son, when are you going to start a business? <laughs> My dad, um, he, gave, he gave me a bit of shit. He gave me a bit of pressure. Um, but I think everyone's journey is their own. And whether you decide to go for a business or not, it's completely whatever it is that you want that's valuable to you. Um, yeah. So how did you end up becoming a practice owner yourself? How did you decide that was the path for you? Okay. So when I was at Aestheticon back in 2015, I was talking to another dentist that I knew, and I knew he owned several practices. And he was trying to kind of like influence me into practice ownership. Um, but I was working three days a week, had a great job. I was turning over three, four grand a day, 
take home was in excess of 200,000. It's like, why would I want to work for somebody else? Or rather, why would I want to work for myself and take on the stresses of owning a business? Now, backtrack when I was growing up, like we weren't that well off. And for me, like the $100,000 a year income was like, like the holy grail. If we can make six figures, like, man, we're set. Because my parents never made six figures. Mm. So they, they, they kind of plant, I, I, either they planted or I planted in my head, like, okay, once we cross that six figure mark, we're set, we're winners. That's it. And if I can coast like that, I'm good. And then my wife took me to Tony Robbins and something in me snapped. <laughs> what was it? Unleash the, the, the power within. And it's like, okay, yeah, I can't keep working for somebody else. I need to do this myself. I need to create more opportunity. Um, not just for myself, but like ultimately for my family and for the people that trusting me to look after them. So, all right, that's it. I'm owning, I'm going to, I'm going to own a business. And then a month later, Neil Kashyap had his practice ownership course on how to do a startup or how to do an acquisition. Like after that, I was like, okay, I'm going to own a practice. I've got the recipe, all the key steps. It's all here. Let's just, let's just do it. So we did it. The first six months, I was like, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> um, you took over someone's practice. I did. I did. It, it was um, very poorly run. Um, it, it was a revolving door of associates and staff. And yeah, we started off with like four team members. I think we have 16 now. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, how did you approach your CPD learning about starting a business at that point? Um, I think No Neil is really the only one that goes through the nuts and bolts of running a business. Um, I've also had business coaching from another business coach and I was under prime practice, which was fantastic pre-COVID. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> they, they would hold workshops and courses and it was like, a great way to take your team out. We would all drink from the same water fountain and come back and say, all right, we're gonna start doing this, this, and this, right? To ultimately make life easier, make um, the business more efficient, um, and and like, you know, implement, because you know when you go to a course, it's like, okay, I'm gonna start doing X, Y, Z, and my life is gonna get better because like this stuff is easier, or this is great. Uh, and so Prime was great until COVID happened. Mm -hmm. um, so we're, we're not with Prime anymore. But, you know, ultimately, whoever you decide to trust with any sort of coaching or, or improving your practice management systems, like, take it in, learn it, and take action. It's ultimately mm -hmm. all those incremental actions that you take makes everything run more smoothly, runs more automated, and depend less on you as the owner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess what you're trying to say is as well, it's um, it's about a philosophy, you know, having a culture and building up a particular culture so everyone's on the same page. Because if people, you know, one, one associate goes learn there and the practice go, uh, owner goes and learn somewhere else, it's like you come back and you have two clashing different philosophies and if you're not on the same page, um, it kind of makes it quite difficult to communicate. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. So, yeah. One of my values yeah. was just be badass. Yeah. So you, you've also mentioned about learning from reading. You know, you've mentioned about how to win friends with Dale, um, Dale Carnegie's book, um, Influence People. And you've talked about, you know, the seven habits of highly effective people, Stephen yep. Covey's book. You know, yep. what other books have you read and or reading that taught you to, you know, something or learn something from? Oh my God. The... <laughs> I can give you like a list. Um, have you ever heard of Gary Takis from the, the Thriving Dentist? No, I haven't. Okay, he's the first dental podcaster back in 2012, and I discovered his podcast like way back then. Right. One of the things that he said that uh, leaders are readers and readers are leaders. Um, so I started reading, uh, and now I go through Audible. I consume about an audiobook a week. Wow. 
You so, must it, on on one point five speed. <laughs> yeah, one point five, one point five speed. Yeah, if it's one point seven, it's too fast. One point two is just draggingly slow. Um, and there's a lot of overlap within these books. Regardless, like when you when you go over something that you've heard before, you're either thinking, "Yep, I do that," and it affirms that you're doing the right thing, or "Wait, no, I know I should be doing that, but because I've heard it now." It's in my, it's in my consciousness. I'm gonna consciously do that, and then you keep consciously doing it until it becomes automatic, and then you subconsciously do it. And when it's subconsciously done, it's the best because you don't have to think about it. You have to, you don't have to force it. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you're learning something and you're trying something like initially, it feels unnatural. Um, like that first time you had to hold a handpiece and you had to use a finger rest, right? Yeah. Like how am I supposed to use a finger rest in this tiny space and try to avoid cheeks and tongues and drill onto a tooth? Mm-hmm. Because you've done it so many times, now it's like automatic. <laughs> you sound like a dentist talking to their nurse and they're yeah. trying to train them on a new skill. <laughs> so a common question I ask guests is, you know, what CPD was a game changer for them? Is there any particular game changer CPD for you? Um, I'd say Frank Spear. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're able to go, like, I learned better in a classroom, even though I've subscribed to his Spear Education online platform for the past 10 plus years, and there's so much information, I just can't sit still, like, in front of a computer for an hour to learn about, like, uh, crown length. Yeah. <laughs> even though it's all there. Um, so Frank Spear has been great. Derek is a really, really good one uh, as well, because he... he it, like not only do you understand like his world and what it is that he sees he also introduces you to his network so you guys are all supporting one another um and kinar shah big time big time can't forget about big k all right <laughs> um kinar like his his communication courses like grow in layers so you get your fundamentals and then as soon as you you know, you practice your fundamentals and become subconscious and automatic. Then you go deeper into the neuro-linguistic programming and you understand like, you know, certain words have a certain effect on your audience's mind. Um, and also the non-verbals that you could use um, to create greater engagement with your audience, whether it's a patient or if you're trying to speak to a group of dentists or if you're trying to speak to like your team and try to influence them in, um, you know, something for the greater good. Because you don't like try to get your team to do something just because you're the boss. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the boss, you'll do as I say. No. I'm <laughs> um, just gonna comment here coming from Dean. He's, he's saying that you haven't done a Dean Lyson Black course yet. So, you know. <laughs> I should do a Dean Lyson Black course. Yes, yes, he's my classmate. He's in the year below me, but. Um, no way. <laughs> Dean Lysenblatt, small world. Dean Lysenblatt, he was the year below me. And I, dude, I admire him to the buggery. He's gone like leaps and bounds in the whole clinical space. I actually took over his job um, in my fir- as my first job when I came back to Australia. So, you know, he paved the way and the patients loved him and I had some pretty big shoes to fill. So good on you, Dean. <laughs> and I, yes, I should do a Dean Lysenblatt course. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, and so have there been any particular CPDs that you felt like, you know, you didn't quite implement or wasn't as beneficial for you at the time and you would do differently next time? For me, a lot, like, what I didn't implement, and it's simply because I don't have much interest in it, would be anything bone grafting, implant stuff. I just, I don't. I don't like doing implants. I'll do it. I just don't like the unpredictability of it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's me lacking experience or skills as an operator, or if it's just inherently like biology that can be unpredictable. So that's why I'm kind of very, very iffy about the implant space. That's just mm-hmm. me, right? Everyone's different. Some people absolutely love implants and good for them. And I'm happy to refer to people that do a truck ton of implants. Um, but for me, because I've done some, I've tried some, and some of them have not gone so well, um, that's why I'm very, very hesitant and careful when it comes to anything implants. 
Mm. And so talk to me about your implant learning uh, journey. Was that through uh, weekend kind of courses? Was that through something a bit more structured? Like how did you go about learning that and, you know, to come to this kind of conclusion? Sure. It's probably my fault that it's mostly been weekend type courses. I haven't done any sort of continuum like the IAAD or, um, or the ICOI. I haven't done any of that. Quite frankly, I'm not that interested. So a lot of my peers are telling me, Jeff, do this implant continue, do that implant continue. It's like, I'm not interested. Mm-hmm. So give me my bread and butter restorative and ortho, and I'm more interested in helping nurture my associates and my staff into being like, and upgrading their skills so they're able to impact their patients in a more positive way. Right. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about that for a second because you know a lot of graduates talk about wanting mentoring. They and people interpret that very differently. Some people like to be held by the hand. Some people like to be checked in on once in a while. Some people want to be a fly on the wall and learn by observing. You know, what's your thoughts on you know recent graduates looking for mentoring? Well, they they all work. I try to um, check. <laughs> I was I'm. I'm very unstructured in my mind, um, and I know that's a opportunity to be working on. Um, and, but I, I get my my associates to pull me aside whenever they're experiencing if they're not sure about something. And oftentimes, because we take clinical photographs and OPGs, we even have access to a cone beam. Um, all right, sh- show me, show me the pictures, show me the OPG. And oftentimes, I'll be able to see stuff that they haven't seen. Because I've been doing this for six, 15 years now, um, and I've done all these courses, so my eyes are geared and tuned to, to being able to see, think, see things that younger, inexperienced eyes might not be able to see just yet. Um, and when I'm able to point that out, then okay, now we got these problems. How can we get around these problems? What would be viable solutions? And ultimately, the most important thing is what does the patient want. And is the mm-hmm. patient aware of these problems? And if they haven't explained it because they weren't able to see it, I think this is worth bringing the patient back in so that we could have a frank discussion as to the findings that we were able to discover together. All right. Um, and so those are the kind of conversations that I'll have with my associates. And it's it's great because, you know, as a young dentist, how often did you find yourself stumped? over a clinical situation and think, oh, what the hell do I do with this? Who could I turn to? Like, you know, who could offer me some sort of advice on where, where to take this? And oftentimes we, it's isolating. Got no one to talk to. So then you take a punt. I don't know how many times you've taken a punt. <laughs> yeah, a, a few times, yeah. And sometimes it works out. Yeah, sometimes. Sometimes you're just like, oh man, this is not good. I gotta get them back. Yep. Yeah, and sometimes it doesn't, and then you know that's where you have your biggest slices of humble pie. Mm-hmm. And based off those experiences, you know what to look for in the future, so that when you encounter it again, you can explain from the front end. I've seen this before. This is a possibility of happening, like um, like a sinus involvement, right? I don't know how many how many fistulas you've caused. I've, you don't have One. to say. <laughs> so, you don't have to say. It's bound yeah. to happen. If you're going to be taking teeth out, it's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, I've had to refer maybe a handful of times to the oral surgeon to get the fistulas closed. Um, and they have all had similar things in common. So now whenever I see it in the x-ray, I warn them. I, 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 this has happened to me a handful of times. I think it might happen to you. <laughs> yeah. So and what are, what's what's some of those red flags for you now? Uh, low hanging sinuses, um, and whenever you're doing wisdom teeth, always look at where that bloody nerve is. Like, like, oh, like scrutinize it, scrutinize it to buggery. Like, really, really be be careful because paresthesia suck, and like if you cause one, that'll be hopefully the last one you ever cause, because you're going to look twice, three, four, five times before you even take out, you know, before you even get that anesthetic to numb up that lower wisdom tooth. Mm. 
You've you've previously done some. Ob- I mean, talking about like mentoring as well and observing. You've done some mentor observe observational days with. Uh, was it Dr. Mark Nee? Mark Nee, yeah, up in uh, Hornsby. Yeah, he's amazing. So, if if there's a dentist out there that's doing something you want to do, whether it's surgery, implants, aesthetic stuff, ortho, by all means, reach out, ask. I learned so much from spending a day with Mark. Um, He's just so smooth and cool and chill about everything. And I'm just looking like at the way he does things. Like, oh my God, this is legit. This is actually really, really good. Um, so I learned I learned quite a lot just like informally, just by just by observing. So if you're a young dentist and you have a day off, like you know, find a find somebody that you admire, reach out. Um, and it kind of you know, I've had maybe two or three people come out and observe me, which is really cool and flattering. It's like, oh, I'm just, I'm just regular old Jeff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. if, there's, if there's something that you see that you think that I'm doing that is cool, then by all means, I'll, I'll share it. Fair enough. So have there been any particular struggles that you've had in your CPD or dental journey so far that some of our viewers wouldn't have known about? Um, well... Don't mess with the nerve. Learn that the hard way. That's me being vulnerable. I'm not perfect. Um, look out for sinuses. Always look out for sinuses, like low-hanging sinus, and warn the patient beforehand, this could be a problem. I've seen this before. If it is a problem, it's like it's purely bad luck, anatomy. I couldn't have caused it. I'm just trying to help you by taking this tooth out. Ultimately, the the end of the day, it's your responsibility if 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 the if the communication opens up. Mm-hmm. So at least you've had that conversation from the front end, rather than you trying to explain why every time they drink tea it ends up up their nose. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, That's interesting because you know a lot of times graduates when they. That we always hear about it at uni, you know, it's like, this is the risk, you just got to tell them, but for a lot of times, it doesn't happen to you, you know, and then yeah. you're saying that when it does happen, at least you've mentioned it, but if you've never mentioned it, it's, it's even worse. It's worse when you have to explain why it's happened. Because mm-hmm. now, like, they, there's a new problem that they didn't come with, it you know, um, and they trusted you and they feel kind of betrayed. And now they have to pay more money to another person to get it fixed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, that's, that's, a, that's, that's one thing, but then like you've just mentioned nerve issues, that's a very scary experience that you, we always think that hopefully we talk about the risks, but you know, we hope it never happens. Yep. What's what happened when, you know, it happened to yourself? Um, I reached out to a local oral surgeon who attempted a nerve repair um, and he's reviewed it, but I reviewed the patient like two years later and she's still numb. Mm. But like, she's in the healthcare profession, she's a nurse, she gets it, these things do happen and it's really unfortunate. I'm just, oh, I feel really, really bad. Yeah. I should have um, taken a second, third, fourth look at that canal before I got her numb because the tooth was a, it was a cone shaped, it was a cone shaped wisdom tooth. Right. Came up like easily. Mm-hmm. Like I, I twisted the elevator, it popped right out. What, what, you know, you couldn't have seen it coming basically yet. But yeah, talk to me, talk through me, you know, through that those dark days. Cause some come, some of our audience, um, go through these periods, you know, they, it, and you kind of get stuck in this hole where you're kind of thinking, shit, like uh, there's no one else I can reach to. No one's going to understand, kind of go through this. A lot of people are just going to be like, hey, you know, you shouldn't have done it. Or you should have, they're going to be like, well, you should have mentioned it, you know. Yep. Um, and it's it's quite a difficult mindset to kind of get you through it. So how did you kind of um, push through or cope with it? Because sometimes as well, people talk about, you know, after that happens, they're just like, that's it. I'm not doing any more of it. And then you, like yourself, you've kind of come back and tried to get back into the groove of things of that. Yep. Yep. And, um, I, I suppose like I could have stopped, um, but I was bigger than this. Um, you know, what, what could I learn from this and how can I make sure it never happens again? And it's funny, my associates, they'll go for wisdom teeth and I'll like, wait, 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 wait a minute. And I'll take a look, I'll take a closer look like, are you sure? 
um, let's just let's just take a cone beam to be sure. And then, thankfully, we have a cone beam. We're able to ascertain like whether it's safe or not. And we've actually backed out of a few surgeries um, because we're able to see just exactly how close that nerve is to the roots. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, having that kind of hindsight after what after the mistake I made, um, you know, we as a group are a lot more cautious when it comes to uh, taking out lower lower third molars. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah. And so talk to me, yeah, through that mindset of, you know, during your darkest days, if, you know, you're going through this, you've talked to, you know, the um, maxillofacial surgeon, you tell them about this kind of case. Yep. Um, talk to me how you're kind of getting yourself through that. Okay. At the end of the day, we're made to believe that we're supposed to be, we're supposed to be all knowing we are doctors. Bullshit. We're humans. Okay. Sometimes in the speed of the moment, we might make a decision that may, that we may end up overlooking a few things and it happens because we're human. Like we're designed to make mistakes and it's okay. You, we could either make it not okay. And just like crawl up into the fetal position. Say, I'm never going to do this again. I'm never going to do this again. I'm never going to do this again. Or it's like, just accept the fact that we are human. We make mistakes. And it's going to be okay. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, you've also mentioned in the past, you know, that you're a pessimist. However, you've changed since then. You know, how did, what happened? How did that, how did that kind of come about? It's, it's all the, it's what you feed your mind. Um, I used to drive an hour to work, listen to these two ass clowns called Kyle and Jackie O. <laughs> or this other schmuck called Alan Jones, who I thought was really clever because he'd talk about worldly things. But end of the day, they, they just talk nonsense and it's a lot of it's negative. So it put you're feeding your mind negativity, especially if you like, um, especially if you follow the news. Mm -hmm. So I made that conscious decision. All right, that's it. I'm going to be, I'm going to be feeding my mind with positive stuff. So audiobooks, Dale Carnegie, Stephen Covey, Tony Robbins, Brendan Burchard, you know, st stuff that gets you thinking bigger than yourself, being bigger than yourself, where you're like a force that could actually do some good in this world and make a positive impact. And when you start thinking about that kind of inspirational stuff, like, yeah, man, let's go get it. Let's go do this. Yeah, I, I hear what you're talking about. And like, you could either see something and interpret it as being a nuisance or, or like, I hate this, or you could just accept it. It is what it is. And I remember hearing like the saying, there is no good, there is no bad, there just is. So if you could look at things without judgment, without giving it some sort of meaning and just accepting things for as they are, then you don't cloud it with emotion that that kind of sh that shapes our state if that makes sense mm -hmm. um yeah if you Fair watch the enough. news all the time man you're gonna think everyone's out to get you <laughs> yeah yeah it's changing that uh, mindset yeah i hear what you're saying it's putting putting um those positive reinforcements around you um and how people talk about you know you are an average of the five people you're closest around um and all of that isn't it and what you read mm -hmm. yeah what you're feeding <laughs> what, your mind what you're what feeding you your mind, mind. Yeah, yeah what you feed your mind yeah, yeah. So, so you've also mentioned in the past you know don't be too quick to judge someone else's work because you know after five years you might see your own work yep absolutely um, tell me tell me about that okay well there's the work everyone that does the work will do the best they can to their abilities we have no idea what that patient's going to do in five during those five years are they going to be sucking down a can of coke every four hours you know indulging in, in starchy, sugary snacks throughout the day and forgetting to brush their teeth multiple times a week, anybody's restorations are going to look like crap in five mm -hmm. years' time. So always give your colleague the benefit of the doubt. The last dentist 
that your patient has fired who has now come to you. Like, we have no idea what the clinical situation was. We have no idea what their discussion was. The dentist that they saw last, honestly, just tried to do the best they could, right? Um, and that's why, like, don't ever, ever, ever make any sort of judgment comments on, you know, on on the on the on what the last person did. You can only see what's present. You can kind of guess how it got there. But there's no conclusions to be made. All we're all we're seeing is as yes, we have a problem right here, right now. How do we get around it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what does your client current clinical ideal day look like? You know, the type of procedures you might be getting up to. Sure. Um, usually, like multiple restorative. So I might be doing like uh, maybe. Once every couple of weeks, I'll do like an anterior case, like two to two or three to three. Um, the odd seric here and there, the odd single unit crown here and there. Um, I'm doing fewer and fewer posterior fillings. I, I still like them though. Uh, and quite a bit of ortho. So a mixture of fixed and removable aligners. I might have the odd denture patient here and there. I might have the odd implant patient here and there, but that's like, that's why I'm a jack of all trades and master of none. Fair enough. And what do you hope your ideal non-clinical day or clinical day might look like in five years' time? Five years' time, I hope to be in clinic maximum two days. Yeah. Yep. Because I guess the business side is getting a bit um, heavier, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Business side and also the mentoring side. I, I, I really enjoy helping like my fellow colleague just feel more certain because believe it like whether they choose to believe it or not the skills are there they can do it whatever it is they want to do whether it's like a a molar endo doing a a beautiful crown doing the ortho they can do it it's just because they haven't done it enough times or haven't done it before they doubt themselves they doubt their skills and it shows when they're trying to communicate with the patient and when the patient kind of gets this feeling, this vibe of uncertainty, it's like, oh, I don't know if I really want to go with this guy. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, you got this. You got this. You could do this. So is there any particular CPD that you want to kind of get onto in the future? Me? Yeah. Well, um, That's on the horizon that you were thinking well, uh, about pre-COVID uh, that you want to get into post-COVID? Obviously, Dean Lyson Blatt. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I still, I'm like, I'm, I'm still excited about finishing off, uh, continuing with Jeff Hall's ortho course. Um, and I was, and I was looking forward to the Sarek anterior course. They only do that twice a year. So, um, you know, Gloria, I'm coming for you. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. So don't Tom, uh, Dr. Tom Giblin's just asking when you're bringing back the bid. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I shaved it because um, I had to take a photo with the exiting owner of uh, practice number two. And like, did I want to be immortalized like the way that I normally look or do I want to be immortalized with the beard? And I was like, oh no, the beard's coming. <laughs> well, Movember's just around the corner, hey? So oh, it's not too far away. <laughs> like, that COVID beard was honestly the longest any hair in my head has grown for the last 10 years. <laughs> Fair enough. And how about this? You know, you used to, you, you made a video on homebrew all grain beer at one point, wasn't it? Yep. Do you still do homebrew? Yes. All grain beer? Not all grain. I don't have time for that anymore. So most of the beer I make are already pre made kits. Um, somebody's already like boiled the pre-beer all i have to do is ferment it bottle it and then enjoy so brew day with all grain it's an eight hour day there there you go i could i wouldn't be able to tell if i didn't know hey yeah brew day is an eight hour day um so i, I wanted to name drop sam oh shit, what's his last name but he was he was in the year below me as well he's opened up a brewery <laughs> lucky boy uh, he's, I think he's up in the central coast of the Hunter. Um, but yeah, I was like, dang it. He's the first um, dentist uh, brewer. I was hoping to be that. But yeah. Could, 
you could still do it. You could still do it. Thanks. I'll be number two. <laughs> but yeah, it's, well, the, it's a cool yes. life. Like it's a cool life. Like crafting up beer recipes, like uh, with your your grains and your hops and what yeast you use and what sort of varieties. Of beer. Anyways, I'm totally nerding out on beer. Sorry. Well, you could you could com- combine that with you know a gym workout session at the same time. Yeah. Yep. For sure. <laughs> Well, Dr. Jeff Wang, thank you for coming on the show today. If you could let the people know how they can find you or what you've kind of gone on in your life. Uh, yeah, just look me up on the Facebook or the Instagram. Send me a direct message. Um, I talk to pretty much anybody. Um, yeah, so I'm pretty much everywhere in the space. So look forward to connecting if you want to connect. If you like this episode, drop a comment below on your favorite part or leave a review. Don't forget to share it with your friends, and we'll see you in the next episode of CP Junkie Podcast.